Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and I'll meet you there in a little bit. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever used this verse as a text for a sermon in all of these years. I've taught it many times, but, uh, Young preachers are taught in Bible college that uh, in preparing their sermons to build an introduction, and you think of the sermon as being the, the house and different rooms and so forth, but the introduction is to be like the front porch and much smaller than the, uh, the house itself. And this morning, I'm going to do just the opposite of that. I'm going to I'm going to build a great big front porch and a real small house because I want to I want to start out with a wide variety of thoughts and time together and try to narrow it all down to one main thought at the very end. The title of the message is Loving Life. But I'm not talking about what some people might think. Some people might use that phrase uh, to describe how they feel. They feel a certain way. They feel good. Life's going their way. They are elated about it. It might be something you'd see printed on a T-shirt somewhere, loving life. That could describe a lot of people. It could describe, you know, the drunk in a biker's bar. It might describe a Wall Street broker who has just cheated his client out of a million dollars. It might describe a fan whose favorite team just won the the World Series and their loving life as a result of it. But what I'm talking about is a love for life in the sense that we value life, respect life, cherish and protect life whether it be whether it be ours or that of another and our failure in this area is evident and it's awful because we often you know we today with all of the things that man has invented and all of the things that we have accomplished and I keep hearing people talk about their amazement regarding all of the things that man has learned to do And the list is quite remarkable, but, you know, I'm more impressed, I think, by what what man hasn't learned to do. You know, we can measure the distance to the sun. Can you imagine several hundred years ago somebody saying, you know, I figured out a way that we can measure the distance all the way up there to the sun? Well, you'd, you'd think they were crazy. And now they're able to do that. Not only that, but man has been able to put a man on the moon. And so we've learned to do a lot of things, but the one thing we haven't learned to do is to live peaceful with our fellow man. And and I doubt, you know, if there's ever been a time where there was more hatred in our homes, 
more feuding in our families, more misery in marriages, more sin in society, more secularism in our schools, more corruption in Congress, more wastefulness in the White House, more rottenness in religion. And and that list could just go on and on and on. And Paul was certainly right when he said perilous, Speaking about difficult and dangerous times shall come, and and they're here. I was thinking this last week in light of all of the discussion about 9-11, you know, if united we stand and divided we fall is true, then we are about to collapse. Because our nation is being run by by a bunch of selfish, immature, spoiled brats that that are behaving worse than little children. And by the way, I'm talking about both parties. That's just the way that it is. And the problem is their behavior is inspiring hate and creating division among the general population in America today. And we've reached the place that someone is always protesting something. Doesn't make any difference how good it is. There's going to be somebody going to be protesting it and, and, and if they don't get what they want, they're going to loot and burn down every building in town and destroy what belongs to their neighbor, even to the taking of their very lives. Now, in describing those perilous times, Paul used a phrase that really hits the nail on the head. And he said that people would be without natural affection. That's the kind of affection that a mother has for her child, uh, that a father has for his children, uh, the kind of love that family members have one for another. And Paul said uh, there's going to be a time when people no longer have that, and that's what we're seeing today. And uh, that creates a lot of other problems throughout all of society. Because if we can't love our own family, we're certainly not going to love our neighbor as we should. In both cases, the root of the problem is a lack of love for God. Because when our love for God is lacking, everything else is going to be affected. And that makes life difficult. Uh, a preacher said many years ago, I was in a little place called Bemis, Tennessee. Some of you know where it is. And uh, there was a preacher that said uh, that his first pastor many years before had made a statement that stuck with him, and it's stuck with me ever since. He said he told me that whenever I was entering the ministry that you have to learn to work with people as they are and not as you wish they were. And boy, truer words were never spoken, I guess, because that's the way it is in life. Because, listen, we live in a world, a sinful, fallen world, that's changing every day for the worst, and we better learn how to endure. We better learn how to keep going because we can't control it and we can't change it. So we're forced to live in an imperfect world and we need to, we need to think about what in the world is wrong with the world. 
And I, I wish I had the ability to just really be brief this morning and say exactly everything that needs to be said, exactly the way that it ought to be said to make an impact on our lives. Somebody has said that we live in a time where this is described as a culture of death, and it's easy to see why. Do you realize that in America, I'm not talking about in some foreign country where crime, you know, is just off the charts. I'm talking about in America where crime is off the charts. In America, someone is murdered every minute. Every minute, someone dies of murder. In fact, your chances of being murdered are greater than dying in an airplane or an automobile crash. That's not even taken into consideration the fact that more than a million innocent babies are murdered in America every single year. There's something really wrong when we reach the place that the most dangerous place to be is in your mother's womb. And that's where we're at in America today. As a result of man's sinful nature... As a result of his unconcern for other people, we live in a constant state of, con, uh, of conflict with each other, and what we do to each other is, is amazing. There seems to be no limits to the depths of our depravity, and we don't seem to really take note until it affects us personally. I say that because being raised in America, we've always had basically everything we need, Right? We've been raised in the lap of luxury. We've been spoiled by our prosperity in America. And we've been sheltered to the extent that when something like 9-11 happens, it is shocking to us. And we don't seem to realize that, that what happened to us is, is the same thing that's been happening in some parts of the world for, for centuries. I know the details are different, but whenever we think about terrorists, there are people that have had to live all of their life with the fear of terrorism. Ever since Cain slew Abel, it's been that way. Now, that brings me down to my text this morning. Verse 13, this simple statement, Thou shall not kill. That's the sixth commandment. Whenever I think back to the way that America used to be, when I think back to that time whenever we, although far from perfect, when we did our best to follow after Christian principles, and then I see now that we are adrift on a sea of immorality, it is heartbreaking. And I look back and we begin to think, when was it that things began to really take a nosedive? When did they really start changing for the worse? And I think that without a doubt, we could say it was when in our school systems that our children, they started teaching our children that we evolved rather than that we were the special creation of God. You, you see, if we're just a big hunk of flesh that evolved, uh, you can't attach any more value to that than you do to cats and dogs. Whenever you think about uh, man being the, 
the product of evolution, it's hard to have any unusual respect and love and affection for one another. But when we realize that man is a special creation of God, that changes our entire perspective on how we treat one another. And here he says, notice, thou shall not kill. Now, a lot of folks have misunderstood that. They think, you know, that that means that it is against God's law to ever take a life. In other words, that all killing is wrong. But the fact of the matter is, while all murder is killing, not all killing is murder. For example, the Bible speaks about accidentally killing someone. That's not the same as murder. Also, capital punishment is taught in the Bible. That's not the same as murder. There are justified wars, but that's not murder. There is self-defense, but that is not murder. There are eight Hebrew words used in the Old Testament that's translated kill, and the one used here is the one that means murder. It's talking about the premeditated, unjust, intentional taking of another human life. And we could look at any one of the Ten Commandments and realize that we all come short of the glory of God, that we are sinful beings. But this morning, I want you to think about this commandment, Thou shall not kill. And the reason I'm focused on that is because I realize all across our nation, the last few days, people have been thinking about 9-11. And we've been wondering to ourselves, why did something so terrible happen to us? We wonder, what is it about man that causes man to behave like a brute beast? Man is the most cruel animal on the face of the earth. And the reason behind all of this is the fact that most people believe that we evolved, that we're not created by God, and therefore there is no special value to be attached to human life. Thou shalt not kill. Now, there are three things about that I want you to notice. Number one, murder ignores God's command. Murder ignores God's command. Man's entrance into life is from the Lord. We didn't just drop out of a tree somewhere. We didn't evolve over millions of years. We're not the product of, you know, some big bang that took place out there in space. But rather we are the direct product of God's creative power. Our existence comes from God. He is the giver of life. Listen, and we never have a respect for life until we embrace that truth. The truth that we are God's special creation. And so our reverence for God creates a respect for life. Secondly, man's exit from life is controlled by the Lord. 
Let me explain it this way, and there are verses for each and every one of these that we could talk about. God has set certain limits that we cannot cross. I don't know where the line is. You know, in my life, I have no idea. You know, it might be tomorrow, it might be a year from now, it might be ten years from now. I don't know, but there is a certain boundary that regardless of what I do, I can never cross that boundary. I'll never live any longer than that. And the same thing's true of you. God has set those boundaries, but we can do things that will shorten our life. Anytime before I reach that designated place, God can take my life. In fact, the Bible says, why will a man die before his time? You can cut your life short by living in rebellion against God. And obedience to God lengthens our life. In fact, you see that in Exodus chapter number 20 in the very Verse before our text, verse number 12, where he talks about children honoring and obeying their parents, and it will lengthen the days of their life upon the earth. So we cannot cross that boundary that God has set for our life. And by the way, it's different for everyone, as far as I know. But we can live as long as possible by our obedience to the Word of God. Whenever a person, whenever a person decides that they are going to play God and take another person's life, they are inserting themselves in a place to which they have no right. That's God's business. Our entrance into life is from the Lord Our exit from life is controlled by God, but man's existence can be affected by others. Now bear with me. I said our entrance into this world comes from the Lord. Our exit from this world is controlled by the Lord, but other people can affect our existence in this world. In other words, God, although disapproving, might allow someone to take a life. Although the Word of God prohibits murder, God does not intervene to the extent that He disallows it to happen. Now, I know all of this, you know, we... We think about all of this and we think about, you know, uh, how can this be? And, we, we, you know, one of those things that we absolutely never understand. It's like someone wanting to know why God ever allowed sin to enter into the world. Why, why did God let that happen? After all, He has all power. Why, why would God allow sin to enter into the world? Why didn't He just create Adam and Eve and put them in the world and say, you're perfect now, you'll be perfect forever, there'll never be any problems and so forth? Why, why didn't God do it that way? Well, God had a very good reason for that. And, and, you know, I think it's somewhat easy to see why, because you and I would never know anything about the love and the grace of God were it not for the fact that God allowed sin to enter into the world. God created us in His likeness and in His image, which means that we have a free will. 
No, we don't understand everything about that, but we know it's true. When it comes to this matter of God allowing someone to take a life, don't think for a moment that God lost control. God is still in control and God allows it to happen and God allows it to happen although it's terribly wrong. God allows it to happen although He will judge that person who is guilty of the crime. So when a person murders another person, they are ignoring God's command. Secondly, murder interrupts a life. Webster Dictionary defines murder as the unlawful and malicious or premeditated killing of one human being by another. I wanted to read that because I wanted to make sure that I got it straight out of the dictionary where you could get the definition and understand the definition of of murder as far as Webster is concerned. The unlawful premeditated taking of someone's life by another person. Whenever we look at that definition, then it's easy to see that murder can happen in more than one way. In other words, there's such a thing as physical murder. Cain slew Abel. He murdered his own brother. By the way, that's still going on today, right? We see people murdering other people all the time. There are people that will murder you in a heartbeat just for a certain pair of tennis shoes. They don't get their way, they'll take your life. That's physical murder. There is personal murder. We call it suicide. It's not that we're killing someone else, but we are taking our own life, which, by the way, is about the most selfish thing you could possibly do. Somebody says, oh, I'm just a burden to everybody. I'm just going to, I'm just going to kill myself and get out of this world and nobody, nobody cares anyway. That, that, is, that is just pure selfishness on your part. You don't have any more right to take your life than you do to take my life. It's murder. Then thirdly, there's what we could call prenatal murder, and that's usually referred to as abortion. Think about those little innocent unborn babies. Human beings not yet born and taking their life. When a society gets to the place that we we can slaughter little innocent babies, then there is no limit to the other things that we might do. You know, those of us that are older, we look back and think about back in our younger days and how it was then and how it is now, and we often describe it as saying we just live in a state of shock. We... We can't believe what has happened. I can remember when when many of us pastors back in Missouri banded together and protested at the school boards because of teaching sex education in the schools. It was a big deal then, right? Nobody ever makes an issue out of it today. And look, look where we are. Look what has happened as a result of that, I'm telling you, if, if people will slaughter little innocent unborn babies, there is no limit to what they will do to get what they want. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not murder. Why? Because it ignores God's command 
because it interrupts life. But this is what I want you to see. Murder involves more than killing. The reason I'm going about this like this is because so many times we look at all of the problems in society and we think, you know, we've got to solve this problem and that problem and the other problem. We've got this whole list of different problems and we're looking for solutions for each and every one of them. And I'm telling you, regardless of the nature of the problem, the answer, the solution is exactly the same. And that's why it's important that we understand what I'm about to say. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 22. Matthew 5 and verse 22. Let me read verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, which is uh, sh- shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever uh, shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So, so what is this all about? The Lord is trying to get them and trying to get us to see that the sin of murder is something that can happen in the heart. That it has to do with more than your actions. It has to do with your attitude. He also speaks about committing adultery. You know, the Bible says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. All of those Jews, you know, would agree to that. But he said, if you look... Uh, you know, upon a woman with lust in your heart. He says, you've already committed adultery in the heart. You, you've already violated the principle of God's law. Can you just imagine a bunch of those old Jewish rabbis, you know, none of which would ever dream about being unfaithful, you know, uh, in, in any way whatsoever. They'd never get caught in some sexual scandal of any kind. They want to maintain their integrity. They want to be looked upon and admired by the community and what have you. And here they're sitting down on the street corner, you know, Google-eyed at all of the girls coming by and lusting after them, and the Lord's trying to get them to see, you just violated that same commandment that says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. When we begin to understand this, all of a sudden we begin to understand how sensitive God is to sin and how serious sin is in the eyes of God. There are a lot of men that could brag about the fact I've never been unfaithful to my wife. They don't want to talk about the times all, you know, that they've spent looking at Playboy magazine or watching pornography on TV or in some filthy movie or something like that. And it's all sin in the sight of God. So when the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill, it has to do with the attitude of our heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's where all sin begins. You see, we think about those terrorists that took those planes and, and used them as missiles against us and destroyed all of those lives of our fellow Americans. We think about what they did to our beloved nation and how awful, how terrible 
that was. But at the same time that we see the sinfulness of what they did and the harm that it brought to our people, some way or another we think that we are within our rights to dismiss the sinfulness that is within our heart. And I'm telling you, that is the root of all of our problems in America today. The very root of the problem is the problem of the heart, and we will never, ever be able to love our neighbor, which is what? The second and the great commandment. We'll never do that until we what? Until we are able to do the first, which is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, with all of our mind. You see, till, till, till we do the first, we'll never do the second. So here we are trying to patch marriages back together, trying to improve society, trying to solve these problems and stop the suffering and all of those things. And we're working at each problem from a different angle when the, when the real problem is there's only one solution. And that solution is that we need a new heart. We need to become a new creation and there's only one way that can happen, and that's to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We keep hearing people say, for example, we think about our law enforcement officers being shot in the back and such horrible atrocities such as that. And over and over and over again, I've heard people use the phrase, I might have even said it, this has to stop. But it doesn't. In, in fact, it just keeps on getting worse. And listen, it's never going to stop. It'll never end until we turn to God. That's the only solution. So this message is more than about the sin of taking someone's life. Now stay with me. This has to do with our reverence for God. Not just the fact that we violate the rights of a fellow human being. I mean, that's bad enough, but we're talking about having a reverence for God. And that leads to a respect for others. We're talking about the reformation of our ways to where we change ourselves and restore Christian principles in our society that brings about a domestic peace in our families and our homes and all of a sudden all of the marital strife and so forth, all of those problems are solved. Why? Because we resolve things with God. We increase human happiness to restore social order. Only when we turn back to the Lord, I, I think back to the way it used to be. I can remember whenever I was younger, I used to hate it whenever older people would do that. You know, they'd talk about, well, I remember a time where you know, it's like, I don't want to even hear about it. But the older I get, the more compelled I feel to talk about it. Because like you, I can remember when you, you, you never locked up your car. You, you never, we, we never locked the doors to our house. Most of the time, the windows were open. We never worried about things like that. The kids 
played after dark and, you know, till they were exhausted and come dragging home. And you, you never worried about that. And yet everything has totally changed today. And we're never going to solve these problems until we turn back to God. You know, it's amazing to me how that we want the world to be one way. We want something done about those terrorists that have the audacity to come over to our country and to kill our people and to inflict that kind of pain here in America. We, we want that to stop. This has got to stop. We feel violated whenever one of our cops is shot in the back. We want that to stop. And that list goes on and on and on. We want society to change, but we don't. You see, we've got one standard for society and another one for ourselves. And we look at the law and it says, Thou shalt not kill. And we think, I haven't murdered anybody recently. That's all right. And yet our heart is filled with malice and bitterness and hatred for other people. And then we act like we don't have anything to make right with God. And the Lord puts us in the same list as those who violated His commandment by the taking of life. Regardless, now here's the good news, regardless of the world conditions, regardless of our personal problems, we can live life at its best if we give God our very best. As long as we hold out on God, we shortchange ourselves. God is so much wiser than we are. And whenever God gives the Ten Commandments and whenever God sets forth these precepts and principles by which we are to live, it's as though God is saying, I don't want you to hurt yourself. You know, if it were possible... And it's not. But if it were possible for an unsaved person to be able to keep all of the commandments, they'd be a whole lot better off than the life that they're living. Take away heaven. Take away hell. Forget about eternity. Let's just, let's just suppose that death ends it all. We die like a dog. We go back to the dust and that's it. The very best life that anyone could possibly live is a life that is founded upon the principles of God's Word. And as long as we are violating God's principles, we're never going to enjoy the peace and the prosperity and the blessings that God wants to bring upon us. And that makes no sense whatsoever. So as we think about 9-11, as we think about the murder of this police officer, and as we think about the list of other things that we can talk about this morning, we need to realize that the very thing that caused those problems is the very thing 
that is building that bitterness up in your heart and causing you to be envious and jealous and whatever other problem there is. It's all rooted and grounded in the heart. And it's something that we need to resolve because our society is not going to be any better than the people that make it up. And that starts with us. I said when we refuse to give God our best, we shortchange ourselves. I don't think anybody would want to do that intentionally. But we all do it to some extent. Whenever Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, Whenever he tells us as Christians that's what we're to do, let me tell you, that is the very best thing you could possibly do for yourself. To give yourself lock, stock, and barrel over to God and serve Him the best you can. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it might be that you know, you're, not, you're not guilty of flying a plane into, into a big building and killing a bunch of innocent people. You're not guilty of that. You're not guilty of the sin of abortion. You haven't robbed any banks lately. You haven't done any of those things like that. But the very fact that you have violated God's standard in your heart is sufficient grounds for your condemnation. James said if we, if we fail in one point, we're guilty of all. The law is like a chain. You break one link. And the whole thing collapses. And that's the way it is with God's standard. You say, well, preacher, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not as bad as I could be. No, but you're as bad off as you could be. Without Christ, you have absolutely no hope and no help. Would you trust Him this morning? He's not only the only way to heaven, the only way out of hell, He's the only way to a peace that passeth all understanding and joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's the only way your home can ever be the way that it ought to be. The only way your life can ever be what He wants it to be. Trust Him this morning. Without Him, we can't do anything like the song said. With Him, all things are possible. Let's stand together. Father, I pray this morning that You'll impress upon our hearts the seriousness of Your authority and the fact that You have rightfully declared, Thou shalt not kill. You have justly imposed upon us certain rules and regulations by which we are to live. And I pray this morning that you help each and every one of us to be honest about our manner of life. May the Holy Spirit open our eyes to those violations. May we see our sinfulness. May we see ourselves as we really are. May we see ourselves even as as you look upon us today. God forbid that we be so haughty and so proud that we dare walk out of this building as though nothing 
is wrong in our lives. Help us to be honest and to confess our sins. May souls be saved and your people restored. For we ask it all in Jesus' dear name.